So Carol has been married to Fred McCormick for 40 years. She has two grown boys, ages 35 and 31, who are both believers, praise the Lord. A wonderful daughter-in-law and one adorable granddaughter who was 10 years old. She has been at Bethlehem or the North Church since 1993, has served as a biblical counselor here since 2014, and led the domestic abuse, domestic abuse ministry at all three Bethlehem campuses back in 2015. She has a long career in the corporate and nonprofit world and has been retired since 2014. She currently is on the board for The Dwelling Place, a residence for women and their children fleeing from domestic abuse and finding Jesus in this wonderful ministry. Please welcome Carol. Tonight, what I want to do um, is to focus on about mm, four or five different things, depending on how you par parse this out. I want to talk a little bit about the fact that we all have anxiety, all of us. I want to talk about what anxiety is, and why do we have it? Why do we have to deal with this mess? Um, and then, having had 70 years, hard for me to believe, of experience with my own anxiety, and also experiencing God's faithfulness um, through those years. So I wouldn't be up here talking to you if I hadn't. I want to give you a little flavor of um, some of those experiences. And then some practical ways to deal with your anxiety. And since we all have anxiety, I'm going to take a little risk here and just see if we could get maybe three or four call-outs from you on the kinds of things that give moms anxiety. What are, what are some of those things? Shrooms that kids. <laughs> right. Yes. Health. What'd you say? Health. Health. Children's safety. Safety. Children. A hard-hearted child. Hard-hearted child. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great ones. Those are great ones. And if you think about it, I'm sure you can think of others as well, but if you think about it, there's a main theme through all of those because some of them are about what's happening today, but most of them have ramifications for what? The future. So the real problem is we don't know what the future holds. And we know that it's likely to hold some pain, some suffering. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 6, 33, you will have tribulation. We don't want that. Nobody wants to have pain. Even Jesus didn't enjoy it very much in the garden, did he? So we want to avoid that at all costs. And so we know that there's people here, probably sitting next to you, that have experienced anxiety. Maybe it's in your very chair, since we all have experienced it or will. Um, if you think you're alone in this church full of godly women, because that's a temptation to think, I want you to think again. I, as a biblical counselor, talk to a lot of women who struggle with anxiety. Almost everybody that I work with struggles with anxiety. That's why I know there's somebody sitting next to you. So you're not alone. And don't ever fall for that one. You are definitely not alone. That's why it's a privilege to be a counselor, quite frankly. So let me give you a couple of examples of my own anxiety currently. Um, first of all, Claire Olson asked me to prepare a talk on anxiety to the mom's group. <laughs> And I will tell you, I don't know why, who knows the reasons for this, but this one 
created a lot of anxiety in me. And I had, I had to fight that. And um, I don't know if the enemy was after me or what, but I've given lots of talks. This one was one of the hardest to pull together. So um, I wasn't sure what you needed to hear. I'm used to one-on-one -on -one counseling now. I don't do this kind of stand-up talk. Um, will I miss the mark? Will I fall on my face? A little performance anxiety. Well, I have a lot of performance anxiety, but that is definitely in the play, in play here, too. So, yeah, I experience anxiety just by being asked to do a talk on anxiety. And then here's another one. I am 70. My husband, Fred, is 70. We already have some health issues that are starting to get in the way of daily life, but <clears throat> so far, thankfully, not too much. Excuse me, this is a 70 problem. <coughs> uh, so that's always an unknown. I got, we got that future to wonder about. And then, and this is a big one that I have to constantly lay down at the Lord's feet because I can't handle it. What if he dies before me? People are really starting to die at this age, and then you start seeing more and more and more. And then I lose my best friend. And I really can't contemplate that very long without starting to crumble. So what do I do with that? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I just want to emphasize um, what these examples tell us. That, as I said, we all experience anxiety. It's not at the same frequency. It's not necessarily at the same intensity, is it? Um, but no one is new. Because, again, the reason is we don't know the future, and we know that there could be danger and there could be pain for us, for our kids, for our broader family, our spouses, whatever. But let's talk a little bit first about what is anxiety. I talk about it as a feeling, and feelings aren't necessarily bad in of themselves, but there's a lot of feelings associated with anxiety, aren't they? Uh, aren't there? Um, for example, you might have had thoughts spinning around in your head, and going over and over things in your mind constantly because you're anxious about them. You lose sleep, you get worked up, you get stressed, you're full of fear. <clears throat> you can't think straight, and there's reasons for that I'll talk about in a little bit. But, and maybe you've experienced extreme panic, like your heart is racing, and you may even feel like you're having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. Sweating. And then your brain really can't process things rationally at all. It shuts down. It literally does shut down. <clears throat> and I think those are pretty miserable feelings. Would you agree? Yeah. Who wants those? What are some of the triggers um, of anxiety for us? Uh, the reason in, you have two different handouts that I have here. Well, on one of them it says, um, it references Brian Lichty's talk two years ago, almost to the day, to moms on anxiety, and it's on the North Women's podcast. It's a really good talk. I, I'm reviewing a lot of the same things that he did there, but he goes into a little bit more detail on these triggers. So I just wanted to offer that to you if you um, wanted to see it or listen to it, really. Um, but the, the three basic things are circumstances. We might have witnessed a traumatic event or, or had one happen to us or one of our family members. That can trigger anxiety. Um, physical things. You might be having illness that triggers anxiety. Um, literally, in your body, it triggers the anxiety. Or um, medications that you might be taking can actually sometimes trigger anxiety. Um, and then, most, for most of us, or most often at least, we have anxiety that's triggered by our minds. And we call that worry. Um, and that's what triggers it. And actually, the other two triggers also cause anxiety in the mind, because then we start working on it and the thoughts start working on whatever has triggered it, either in our circumstances or in the body. So it all comes back to um, a part of our anxiety is always going to be in our mind. 
And that's something that we can definitely put before the Lord to deal with. And so um, when we talk about worry, we're talking again about things that haven't happened yet, but might. And we know it's possible. And of course, you know Jesus says a lot about worry. As a matter of fact, on that same handout where Brian is, <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's a full passage written out um, from Matthew 6, 25. It should be 34. I think it's written incorrectly there. Um, so it's 6, 25 to 34. And if you, you're familiar with that, but if you read through it, you'll see that Jesus is always talking there about the future tense. He is saying, don't be anxious about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. He says, don't worry, but we still don't know how he's going to provide for us, or even what he's going to provide. So, for example, and you've given a few of these examples already, you might be worried about, um, have I missed a parenting step or two, or has my husband missed a parenting step or two, so are our kids going to be messed up by that? Will our marriage endure into old age? Will I or someone of my family members get a bad disease? Or will we end up poor and have no money and not know where the next meal is going to come from? These are all things that we tend to worry about at times, um, just depending on your situation. Some of you might be familiar with Ed Welsh. I think I have a book or two back there. Um, he's a well-known biblical counselor, actually a psychologist turned biblical counselor. And um, I love the way he talks about worry. So he says that worriers see the future in minute, gory detail. So like a cat, I can never say the word. How do you say, put, make something a catastrophe? I can say it sometimes when I'm not thinking about it. Thank you, catastrophize. So we tend to do that. Warriors tend to do that. I'm one of those. So, you know, um, your husband takes your kids out to the store and you envision the car accident, the fatal car accident with all of them in it. Well, you know, it does happen sometimes. But that's where we go. And we spend our time there. And then we get all fired up about that. And there's so many other examples that we can uh, talk about that are common to the worrier. And I, I love the way um, Ed Welsh defines worry um, succinctly. He says, worry is imagining tomorrow without God in it. Isn't that what we do? He's not in it. Because all of a sudden we're churning about it. And it means we're, we're imagining that tomorrow will happen without his provision, without the strength that he promises, promises to supply when we're going through hard times. And he does. He says he'll give us whatever we need to stand up under any trial in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So worry starts in our minds, in our thoughts, but really our thoughts come from our heart, which is how we talk about what we believe. So our heart is feeding what's going on in our minds, and we're getting all worried and um, roused up because of that. So let me give you a couple more examples from my life. Um, first of all, I think I was an anxious baby. I Honestly, I, I think I must have been an overachiever when it comes to anxiety when I was in the cradle. And I have a lot of stories I had to pull out for time um, about different eras of my life um, where I was anxious and, and even borrowed some of my father's um, anti-anxiety meds to try and calm down. Um, but I won't go into details there. I, I did um, have this long career um, in a couple places, unplanned, um, long story, not going there either, but um, at one point, 
for about 25 years, I worked for Medtronic, and um, I was asked to move to a job on the West Coast in California. And we rushed out there and looked at it and the area and everything to move the whole family. It just wasn't right. There was just some things about it that weren't right. And I knew there could be consequences to my current job, which I needed because I was supporting our family. And um, also to my career, if I didn't take that, that particular role, it was a nice promotion. I wanted a better, different job, but I, I just knew we couldn't do it. So I had extreme anxiety over that, to the point of I had a panic attack. And it was the first time this had ever happened to me. And um, I mean, I couldn't get out of bed. I, I was, I really did, I was almost 40. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And um, I thought I was definitely dying. It was that bad. Obviously, I didn't die. I'm here. But it was very scary. And um, I had a therapist at the time who I finally got on the phone and he said, I think you're having a panic attack. And I calmed down after taking a walk and it was amazing what happened. But I, that's not a big faith story because I was a believer. But did I, did I go to the Lord in that? Well, yeah, but, but not very well because that's not what helped me. Taking a walk helped me. His nature, common um, revelation in nature, maybe that did help me. But that's not what I can say. Wow. I will say, though, in this next example, um, I do see the Lord's faithfulness in spite of myself. So a number of years ago, my boyfriend asked me to marry him, and I was almost 30 at the time. So I said yes, but man, the anxiety started after I said yes, big time. And I thought, well, I don't believe in divorce, but I'm sort of trapped if I do this. Um, I, I knew we had a great relationship, but it was awful. And I called him off once a month before the wedding because I was so freaked out. But that only lasted overnight. And I got some good counsel and decided to go ahead and marry him. But picture this. My sister had to carry smelling salts down the aisle as my maid of honor so that when I got down up in front, and we had sort of a, a lot of people came um, that I didn't you know, pass out unnecessarily. <laughs> so thankfully, she didn't have to use it, but that's how upset I was. But now I've been married for 40 years to my best friend, as I said. And you know, he's still my boyfriend. So the Lord was really gracious in that. But both of those examples are ones in which I was very much trapped by worry about the unknown. How is this going to turn out? And it was coming from my thoughts, but ultimately it was coming from my heart, not believing. Once I struggled through making the decision, because that's another aspect of, you know, how do we make the decision? But we make the decision, and then I'm still struggling with what's going to happen in the future. And I'm really not believing the Lord's provision that's promised and his good purposes for the circumstances and the decisions that I've made. So why, if worry creates all these horrendous feelings and traps us this way, why do we do it? Well, I recently um, had someone say to me, she said, she gave me permission to share. Um, she said she feels more productive if she worries. She says, maybe if I worry, that bad thing won't happen. I mean, doesn't it sound illogical even as I say it? But don't we all do it? It's like, well, maybe I can control this if I worry about it. And so we have this constant mental aerobics going on, thinking, okay, I can exert some control here. And you might have heard an old saying, it, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do, 
but never gets us anywhere. And then, I don't know if you guys know Corey Ten Boom, because it's a little outside of your um, history. Um, I saw her once actually speak, and she was a Nazi concentration camp survivor, a Christian who rescued Jews. Um, she, had, she had this to say. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strengths. So worry entraps us. It makes us less effective. And Job has a good way of saying it. He says it, he um, he says inward parts are in turmoil and never still. It tears us up inside. This worry, and he actually can break down our immune system with enough of it and make us ill. And then Jesus said again in the Matthew six passage, we can't add one hour to our lives through worrying. Now, the original Greek and some older translations that you may have read this in say we can't add one cubit to our stature, which is it's actually a lot. <laughs> and mine's kind of small, but from here, your wrist down to your elbow is about a cubit. But take one look at me, ladies. How tall has my anxiety made me? Am I not evidence that what he says is true? And I'm actually, I've shrunken it in recent years, so it doesn't get done. So again, why do we worry? Well, really the root cause of worry is that we are alone in an uncontrollable, dangerous world. And we're not sure what God will do. The future is hidden. It's hard to make decisions. There's lots of what ifs. What if this happens if I make this decision this way? What if that happens if I make that, this decision that way? Like my decision to marry. What if I want to get divorced? You know, what if this turns out to be terrible? And often, I mean, people are struggling in marriages. Well, and it's not like we didn't struggle. Let me just say that. But um, I could have called the thing off and not marry the person who did turn out to be my best friend and the father of my children. My decision not to move to the new job, I had all kinds of stories I would love to have told you about what ended up happening there. But the Lord um, blessed that. And... We ended up moving to Sweden four months later, if you can believe that, and that was wonderful. Somehow that was different than moving to California. <laughs> anyway, you never know, right? Um, but um, we do think, you know, because there's probably pain involved, we've got to control our way into the, the future, and that's impossible. And, you know, here at the North Church, I mean, we talk about this a lot, at least I do, um, and we are really good at intellectual belief, aren't we? I mean, we know so much about the Bible, we are so blessed to have such good teaching and reinforcement of what the Bible says. So we know that, we know what's in this word, but I talk to these ladies all the time, and I'm here to talk about my own experience with it too. Belief does not translate, I mean, sorry, knowledge does not translate into belief and trust, does it? It just doesn't on its own, by itself. Our own John Piper has talked about anxiety this way. He says, our battle is not with the anxiety. It's a battle with unbelief. Our battle is with our unbelieving hearts. Therefore, he says, pray for faith in his truth. Now, I'm sure you, a lot of you have heard this illustration before, but it's one of my favorites because um, my dad was born in Buffalo, New York, so I went to Niagara Falls nearby frequently when we visited my grandma. And uh, this illustration is um, picturing the falls, if you've seen them, 
They're huge, roaring, massive things. If you go as a tourist on the Maid of the Mist, it's a little boat that goes under, literally under the falls. <laughs> and they are awesome. They are so scary and so powerful. So you picture that. And now picture a tightrope walker who stretches a little tightrope, you know, like acrobatic people do, across a portion of the falls, which are roaring underneath him. And he's got a wheelbarrow. And we're all standing around watching on the sides, not in the water. <laughs> and he goes across with his wheelbarrow once, and he comes back. And he goes across again with his wheelbarrow, and he comes back. And before he makes his third pass, he turns around to us and says, do you think I can do this again? And we said, well, of course you can. We just saw you do it twice, successfully. And then he looks you in the eye, and he says, okay, get in. Get into this wheelbarrow, and we'll go across. Well, that's a pretty different thing, isn't it? That's scary. Do we believe that God is sovereign, but also good enough and active enough for us to get into his wheelbarrow and cross this dangerous terrain in this fallen world of life? It takes hard work. It takes hard work and determination. So let me give you another one of my failure success stories. <clears throat> so I ended up, when I was still at Medtronic, and I was there for 25 years, um, I got promoted to the very top HR job in the whole organization, which I don't know how that happened. But at the time, it seemed like it was a calling. You know, I'm going to represent Jesus at the top of this big place. And I was in HR, which is kind of a weird scene in the, in the sermon on Sunday. I went, oh, well, if HR is telling you to be this way, you know, and it's all good stuff and everything. Well, I was in HR, and I'm not believing a lot of the things that the culture is saying that you need to do, and I'm supposed to be representing the culture. It's just getting worse and worse over the years while I was in it. Um, but here I am, in a top job. I thought, okay, you know, all right, Lord. Got fired less than one year later. And there was a, that's another long story, but um, boy, was, I was shocked. And after 25 years there, that was my home in many ways. I spent mega hours there. Because remember, I was supporting the, our family. Our husband, my husband ended up staying home. It's a long story too, but um, it was working out well enough. And um, we didn't have enough savings to retire. I had no interest in going into another corporate HR job. I, was, I call it pushing the ball up the hill, and I was so tired of doing all those fights. Um, and I envisioned us losing our house, you know, having to move I don't know where. My, my oldest child um, had just entered Wheaton in his first year of college, and he was calling saying, do I have to come home? Um, and I'm, I don't know. Um, I was a little angry at those, including my husband, who had encouraged me to move into this new job. He was pretty mad after all this, too, by the way, um, because when I also had to be honest about it, I was angry at God. I'm like, God, why? Why did you set me up for this failure? Because I didn't have to take it. I, it, was, it was bizarre the way it all came about, and I didn't have to take it. So I was especially um, feeling those feelings as well as some shame. Who wants to get fired? Um, loneliness, I was often scared, I was often panicked. How did God use that anxiety? Well, it, it took him a while. I'm a hard nut to crack. Um, it took me uh, a year to calm down, quite honestly. 
But all of a sudden, I had all of this time on my hands that I didn't have before. My younger son was in high school, so there was, you know, I'm home, I don't have anything else to do, but I'm freaking out. And I spent at least four hours every day combing the scriptures, crying out, um, lamenting, getting mad, being depressed, I mean, you name it, but I spent hours with the Lord. And you know what? It changed me. It really changed me. He changed me in a way that even my husband, who never was <laughs> like this normal, he just said it to me the other day. He said, you really you have been different ever since. And much more trusting um, of the Lord. And which, if he says it, it must be true. Um, he just he drew me closer to him. And, you know, I see that, that he had real purpose in allowing me to have that pain of the anxiety for that long because he couldn't get through to me uh, in things I thought he had already gotten through to me on, but he really hadn't. And then, you know, um, after a few failed attempts um, at getting similar jobs that I didn't want, a new opportunity popped up with a nonprofit that was like a small Medtronic business. It was the National Marrow Donor Program. It was called Beauty Match for a while, too. It's um, much smaller business, still HR, but in a very different context. And they needed what I had learned through the School of Hard Knocks at Medtronic so I could come in and offer some stuff. But after much trepidation, I went ahead, I accepted the job, but in my mind, and before the Lord, I said, okay, I'll go for one day. When my boss found out about that a couple years later, he said, what? I never want to fire you. But that was the only way I could get myself and my anxiety to show up. And that one day turned into five years. And then, um, not only did I use my past expertise that the Lord had provided through this other school of hard knocks, um, but I worked in an environment that was mm, something like 74% women now, which was a real difference from Medtronic. I love Medtronic. Um, and it, some of the sharpest people there. But, um, but this was softer and gentler in some ways. And um, it was a real good fit for me at the time. Both of my kids went to college. One even um, graduated from grad school later. And I got to retire on my own terms. I did retire from Medtronic, too, because I was already 55, but it was not exactly on my own terms. And most important, as you've heard, the Lord used my anxiety over the uncertainty around all that to draw me close and show me firsthand his goodness and his, his faithfulness. I hated it going through it, but he had his purposes. And you know, those of you who have been involved in the, the James 1 study, and I know talking about steadfast through all of this stuff, um, it's so true. One of the tests of our faith, I'm sure, is anxiety. So when you feel it, you think, oh, this is a test of my faith. And of course, we know that when you have anxiety, if you do some of the things we're going to talk about in just a second, it produces steadfast trust because now your heart is starting to believe that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. And a bonus, of course, out of that is we become more perfect, not completely, but more perfect and complete um, every time we go through one of these processes. So after 70 years of being anxious from baby to now, um, 
God has been with me through all of my worries. He's comforted me. He's upheld me with his righteous right hand, as he promises to do in Isaiah 41, through all of them. This, and this sounds really unbiblical. I mean, or just weird when I say it. But, ladies, it really works. It really works to steadfastly surrender your life circumstances to him. I don't know if that sounds ungodly to you, but it's true. He, he promises that it will, and it does. It really does. It's a little different sometimes than what we would do if we were in charge. I don't know if you checked. I'm not God. <laughs> so he, and the thing is, he's active. So many people I talk to say, oh, yeah, he's sovereign. Well, he's sort of out there. You know, he's looking. He's watching. He might be with me. But he's not kind of like really active. But as he says in Ephesians 3, my experience will substantiate this. He is faithful to do far more abundantly and better than I could have asked for him or even think about according to the power that has been at work in me and in you because he puts it there. Another verse that came to mind right before I came today in search of, I was young and now I am old and I have not seen the righteous forsaken. And he certainly hasn't forsaken me. And he's not going to forsake you either. Let's talk a little bit about how to handle anxiety. How am I doing on time? Oh, if we have time, don't we? Um, there's a handout <coughs> in front of you called Practical Steps in Dealing with Anxiety. Um, you know, there's no magic bullet here. There's no magic bullet. It, it does take some work to do these things. Um, but it's so worth it because the outcome is so much better than any alternative that we have. I do want to credit another um, psychologist turned biblical counselor, David Powelson, a real guru of biblical counseling. Love him. He passed away not a couple years ago. Um, but a lot of these ideas um, come from him. <clears throat> so number one, when you feel anxious, notice your body's involved. Notice how you're breathing. This is one of the simplest things. We don't pay attention to that, but when you start really feeling those anxious feelings, you're breathing, speeding up, and it's coming from up here. It's like amazing what happens if you notice that, and you say, okay, I'm going to start breathing from lower down, and I'm going to maybe, whatever count works for you, I'm going to breathe in four counts, I'm going to hold it for four, and then I'm going to exhale for four. And you do that a couple times, it starts changing things. Why? There's a reason for it. When you're anxious and your fear center in your brain, your amygdala is getting triggered, it shuts down your working memory, which is a much smaller part of your brain in the front of your head. It, it can't think straight, which is some of what we were talking about before. It's really happening. As soon as you start calming your body down by breathing correctly, now you're starting to be able to think again. Then you can start doing some of the rest of these things on the list. Really important. Okay, name your cares and your burdens. Name your concerns. What are you worried about right now? And you're going to notice that your list is always finite. There aren't a hundred things making you anxious, even what feels that way. So you got to name specifically the things that are making you feel anxious. And then, number three, listen to and believe the God who cares. So remember, it's a lie when you feel like you are on your own and all alone <clears throat> in an uncontrollable, dangerous, dark, out-of-control universe. Remember Niagara and the raging torrent. That's what you're up against sometimes. These next three come from Psalm 94. Look at the consolations in verse 14. The Lord will not 
not abandon you. He will not forsake you. You are not alone. The Lord made all things, including you. So, he who planted the ear, who formed your eye, does he not hear and see what's going on? And he is active. He helps. If the Lord had not been my help, I would have dwelt in silence. I would have been powerless. And then believe. Believe what he says is true. And ask him to help you in your unbelief, just like the father of the demon-possessed child did in, in Mark. You know, we're not going to be perfect believers, but he can help you with that. I just, I want to say one other thing here, and that is that um, when you realize that there's over 300 commands in the scriptures throughout them to not fear, they are there for a reason. They're gentle commands. They're not the kind of commands that say, fear or else. They're not like that. They are gentle. He gets it. He understands. The Lord knows you're going to be anxious. That's a comfort to me. Because then I can really talk to him. Because I know he understands. So the next one, talk to the Lord personally. In Philippians 4, you know this? He says, in everything, pray and supplicate. What the heck does that mean? <clears throat> Ask fervently for help. Supplication means really ask and be very honest with the Lord. He already knows. He already knows what you're thinking and what you're worried about. And ask his forgiveness for not trusting him. You know, he wants us to trust him. And not trusting in his goodness and his promises is something you certainly should ask his forgiveness for. And then seek first, as he says in Matthew 6, the kingdom of God. Does that mean seek him? Seek Jesus. He desires a closer relationship with you. That's what he wants most of all. Yeah, have successful kids. Yeah, have a successful career. Yeah, have a wonderful family life at home. No, he wants mostly you. Gotta remember that. <clears throat> That's his priority list. I love First Peter. It should say it on your sheet. It doesn't say First Peter. First Peter five six to seven. For right before that, it says, "Humble yourself before him. Come to him." with an attitude of surrender and acknowledging, I'm having trouble, believe it. And then he says, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. That just feels so comforting and, and gentle to me. He's tender. And then he promises, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Number five, remember the things that most matter. Reorient that thinking that starts your anxiety off and worry. The supreme dominant promise in all of scripture is the God of peace will be with you. And remember, he's active. He's not just standing around and watching. He's active. He's the God of consolations. His consolations will delight your soul. It's not just a pat on the back or a prize, but he gives us all that we truly need. Not necessarily what we truly want, but what we truly need in every situation. And his peace will guard your heart. Believe that and receive it. And then on the um, flip side, number six, then this is actually easier than it, you make it to be. Do what you're called to do today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, we see at the end of Matthew 6. You can't control cancer or Alzheimer's at my age. You can't control how the kids will turn out. You cannot control how the kids will turn out. I can't tell you how many of those conversations I have with folks. You just do your best. Um, if you 
you can't control if you or your spouse will get laid off, um, where the finances will come or not come at any particular time. And you can't control the day of your death or your children's death or your husband's death, much as we would like to. But you can control how you love your kids today. You can control how you love your husband today. You can do the work that you know needs to be done today. It could be any kind of work, but you can figure that out and you can do that. And you can control your thoughts. We know that through scripture. And how you spend time this week will help you to do that. And in focusing um, in the word, because that's where we hear what we should believe. And we have to be reminded, as you know. And usually, there's only one or two things that you need to focus on today. If there's ten items on your worry list back in number two on the first page, really, how many of those have relevance for today? Probably only one or two. Let the day's trouble be sufficient for today. And let tomorrow's troubles be on tomorrow's to-do list. Surrender them. Let go of them to God. So today's calling is always something smaller than what you might worry about. And then, of course, serve someone who needs you. It could be right in your, in your household. But the way you learn to handle your anxieties through this hard work of going to him and working on your belief of getting in the wheelbarrow makes you able to comfort others in any kind of affliction. That's what makes me a pretty gifted biblical counselor. I think at least that's what I hear. I, I didn't set out to do this. I think it's through the years of struggle. And a lot of mine has been anxiety that the Lord has prepared me to be able to understand and meet with, with some, where the women that I meet with are. So, and then finally, reach out, reach out, reach out. Um, obviously, you have people here at Moms. I love the conversation that I've heard in here a couple times, and the conversations are real. I mean, there's some real stuff you bring out. That's wonderful. And you might have family members you can talk to, your small group, Sunday school. But if you're stuck or just feel like, I need a little extra help, there's a, an FAQ on the counseling at the North Church on the tables. There's a few copies. You can always get more. It's also online. Reach out. Reach out. We have very well-trained, gifted um, lay counselors on the team who can and can help you with any struggle, but certainly um, with anxiety. If you just even need a little extra boost, it doesn't have to be an extreme thing. But we also can, we also are trained to deal with pretty traumatic situations. So that's all there for you. So, um, in a second, I'll, I think we'll have a few minutes. Let's see if we still have time for questions. But let me just close by, by praying. Lord, you know what we need. Help each woman here to put into practice what they already know. I know they already know about you. And believe who you are and your power to live out through their actions what they believe about you. Help them to put their faith into tangible, real-time practice as you continue to show me. Thank you that we can't do that in our own strength, but only by your spirit through us. And then it becomes entirely possible. And I just ask that you use everyone's anxieties in the room, everyone's worries, as a springboard directly into your loving embrace. Hide us under the shadow of your enormous wings and teach us to confidently get into your wheelbarrow. Let us pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.